0: Take your Bibles this afternoon and turn with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, as we continue studying the book of Genesis um, our evening. Uh, and this is an early evening tonight. Now this is real early evening. And so we've uh, been studying through Genesis in our evening services, but uh, we'll go look at Genesis 18. And. Uh, that this afternoon. Every person in this room wears different hats. I know some of you don't wear hats anymore, but some of you do. Uh, if you don't wear a hat when you go outside these days, uh, you can catch cold, you know. Uh, but you might wear, we, when we talk about wearing hats, we talk about uh, uh, different roles. Uh, for instance, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a brother, I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, uh, I'm many other, many things. We all have different hats that we wear uh, and different roles that we uh, engage in. And here in Genesis chapter 18, we have a passage that reveals three sides of the life of a man by the name of Abraham. Uh, in this passage, he is visited personally by the Lord Uh, During this visit, we're given a glimpse of three sides of this great man's life. And as Abraham is revealed here, we see some characteristics in his life that I believe should be seen in every life in uh, this room this, this afternoon. For a few minutes, I want to look at the three personal encounters, or look at this personal encounter and look at the three sides of a man by the name of Abraham. Notice, first of all, he had the ministry of a servant. A ministry of a servant. And as we look at uh, this particular passage, we uh, are going to want to know the identity, uh, uh, and I want you to know the identity of Abraham's visitors. And the context makes it very clear that the appearance of these three that are going to appear here are supernatural and divine in nature. In fact, the text makes it clear that one of them is the Lord Himself. And this would be what we call a Christophany. Uh, that is an, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ here on earth. Now, you might wonder, well, who are the other two men? Uh, this passage would seem to be the historical basis for some comments that are made in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 of entertaining strangers. Uh, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. It's uh, highly unlikely that the other two men were other two persons of the Trinity. Uh, I don't believe they would be God, and God, uh, God the Father and God the Spirit. Uh, but it seems to fit uh, Hebrews 13.2 even though we're not specifically told uh, that, uh, who, who they are. Uh, the reference in Hebrews, I believe, uh, is to, to them being strangers, and it's made clear by the fact that the Lord appeared not long uh, before to Abraham, and Abraham probably recognized him, and this would explain his response to him. And I think Abraham realizes who these men were, and he responds with a servant's heart. So we have the ministry of a servant. Notice three aspects of a servant's heart. Notice, first of all, the quickness of his ministry. The quickness of his ministry. Begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and, lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them... He ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, and therefore are ye come to your servant, And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. We see here Abraham springs into action. Uh, He springs into action speedily trying to supply every need of these heavenly visitors. Now, he may be a hundred years old at this time, but really there's no hesitation as he flies from (coughs) one task to another, excuse me, until all is completed. Here's a man who recognized his duty and set about to do it as quickly as possible. May I just remind you that the Lord deserves the best service that we can give him. When we're serving him, regardless of how menial the task, Uh, we should do our best uh, to recognize who we are serving and we should seek to do the very best possible job for the glory of the Lord. Uh, We see here that uh, in these verses, we say this is uh, the quickness of his ministry because he says here, Abraham. it says, Abraham hastened. Uh, He said to Sarah, make ready quickly. Now, in verse 4, it says, Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. Wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Now, it seems very strange to, <coughs> excuse me, to tell a visiting uh, stranger to wash his feet and come in. Ever done that before? Wash your feet before you come in the house. <laughs> well, we don't do that in our culture today, but uh, uh, we, we probably wouldn't say it quite that way. Uh, this is probably one of the oldest customs, though, that, it's no- that is known. Remember, in the upper room, our Lord washed the disciples' feet. And there's a, spe- a tremendous spiritual message uh, there. But here, Abraham says, wash your feet. And it was a token of real hospitality when someone came into a home to have uh, him take off his shoes and wash his feet. In that day, uh, they did not take off their hat. Uh, but they did take off their shoes. Today, we just kind of do the reverse. We take off our hats, and then we uh, a lot of times leave our shoes on, but uh, many times uh, we're taking our shoes off today so we don't track up a person's house with mud or, or water. But when you come to visit somebody, most of the time we use uh, leave our shoes on and take off our hat. And I suppose it depends on what your host or your hostess Uh, desires. Uh, Some folks don't ever walk into a house with their shoes on. Most of the time we take our shoes off, as I said. uh, We don't want to get dirt ground into the carpets and so forth. Now, I don't mind going barefoot in the house, but it depends on what we're accustomed to. Sometimes people are encouraged to take their shoes off when they visit someone else's house. It makes them feel at ease or make them feel at home. Well, Abraham here is quick to make these three guests feel at home. But you'll also notice that he takes care of their physical needs of hunger, and so it seems to be a great ordeal uh, to prepare a meal for them. Now, I believe the text is teaching us that we ought to be hospitable, and that's what Abraham did. Colossians 3.23 tells us, "...and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord." heartily unto the Lord and not unto men. Ephesians 6, six says, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so if it's worth doing for the Lord, it's worth doing right. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Abraham was quick to serve, and we ought to be quick to serve the Lord as well. When we see the opportunity uh, where we can be used of the Lord, we ought to respond. So we see the quickness of his ministry. Secondly, we see the quality, the quality of his ministry. Verse 7 says, And Abraham ran into the, unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the young man, and he hasted to dress it. We still see his quickness here. And he took butter and milk in the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Not only was he swift and quick in his service for the Lord, he was also sacrificial in his service for the Lord. Uh, he went to his flock, and he personally selected, killed, and prepared a calf for their meal. Now, you haven't really become a servant until the service cost you something personally. Uh, Being willing to sacrifice for your master is a sign that you possess a servant's heart. Whether the service is time or tithe or talents, it's willingly rendered as a request of the master and for his glory. Now, the greatest sacrifice you can offer, of course, is yourself. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That is a sacrifice that no one else can give to him. No one can give your body to to God. Only you can. By the way, and when he has you, he has everything you have anyway. Now, just let me... Share some things about the meal times in the East. I came across this when I was uh, preparing this message, and meal time in the East was a very special time. Uh, perhaps you don't go as far as these folks did, but I hope you have at least one time a day where you sit down and have a meal as a family. This is a culture we live in where that's not done very very much anymore. But when an arab meal was ready the man would go to a high spot and call out three times to the others to come and join him at his meal he would do this even if no one was around for miles easterners would decline an invitation to eat or lodge at first until he was repeated to an urge to come and dine it was appropriate to decline first and many times people will decline and this may, wait, may explain why mothers have to continually call their children or their husbands to the table when supper is ready. I don't know. Uh, but uh, maybe that's not a problem in your house. But the host knew a friend or a stranger really wanted to come to the meal, and his friend would finally accept after seven invitations. Uh, don't get any ideas, kids. Uh, you don't have to wait till seven invitations come the first time. But sharing food and water... Was very special and a very, uh, was indication of a pledge of friendship and peace. Sharing a meal was a way of making a covenant of peace or restoring a broken covenant. Uh, ever, if you ever study the covenants in the, in the scriptures, there's always a time to eat. Uh, that was a part, uh, and that's why I suppose we have receptions at weddings. A wedding is a covenant. And then there's a time to have a reception. And, uh, boy, receptions are getting bigger and fancier all the time with, with meals and catered and so forth. But uh, uh, that may be a part of that, the reason why we eat at a, at a wedding. But eating salt with someone was to be at peace with them. Uh, salt was a healing agent and was considered to heal relationships. Eating bread was special as well a guest uh, would not be greeted if they arrived in the midst of breaking bread because it was so sacred uh, when the bread was eaten uh, it was broken it was not cut cutting bread was considered a cutting life itself others foods were eaten were fruits and vegetables and olives and buttermilk and figs and raisins and cheese and raw grains and other occasions of meat and you say why didn't you talk about that this morning instead of sparrow burgers pastor Well, uh, now we're not so hungry, and this doesn't all sound that good to us, but meat was cooked immediately after it was killed by roasting or by boiling it in camel's milk, and the choicest meat was the calf, which was cooked for a very special occasion. Uh, The common uh, meat was a young goat. Milk was a favorite at at mealtimes as well, the Bedouins. Uh, drank uh, cow, goat, camel's milk, which was very rich, but not sweet. Sour milk, uh, curd, was a favorite of the Arabs and was known uh, as leben. Uh It was made from milk and yeast and covered with a warm cloth for about a day. Uh, and it was known to have made a sick man well. Well, you think if I drank that, I'd think I'd be a, a well man getting sick. But... Uh, Uh, Something else that was interesting uh, was that today, Bedouins uh, will keep a pot of coffee on the fire 24 hours a day in the event that a guest should come. Instead of making fresh coffee, they would just add to what was already in the pot, and the coffee becomes very strong, very bitter, and they offer this coffee to the guest when they entertain them. And as they serve the coffee, they say to their guest, life is filled with times of bitterness. And just before the departure of their guest, they offer them something very sweet and tasty, um, like a tasty tea, and they tell them life also has times of sweetness and pleasure. They leave a good taste in their mouth as their guest would depart. Uh, so maybe that's where that kind of uh, thing comes from, where we say, uh, leave a good taste in their mouth. Now, that information may not have a lot of spiritual lessons in it. But I think it's interesting. I think it does teach us a little bit about hospitality, uh, which is probably a lost art in our day and age. So we have here the quickness of ministry, the quality of ministry. But then thirdly, I want you to notice the quietness of ministry. The quietness. Again in verse 8, "...while these visitors were eating their meal..." Abraham stood quietly by to serve them in any way they might need. He simply stood beside them, adopting the pose of a servant, listening for the voice of his Lord. And imagine the reaction of Abraham's servants as they watched him assume a role, uh, the role of a servant uh, to the Lord. And that was a powerful testimony, I believe, to them. Uh, By the way, others are watching us as well. Make sure your service and your testimony are all that they should be. Because real servants of God are those individuals who make themselves ever available to the Lord uh, and His work. They're ready and willing to serve Him on a moment's notice. And when there are no orders to follow, they just continue to do the last thing they were told until the new orders come. They're His and they are, uh, have no will of their own but they're lost in his will for their life. That's a servant's heart. So the first thing we see here in Abraham is a ministry of a servant. Secondly, we see the message for a saint. The message for a saint. Now God always rewards faithful service that is rendered to him. In Abraham's case, he does this by reassuring Abraham regarding the birth of Isaac and verses 18 and 19 tell us of the great affliction the great excuse me the great affection not affliction but affection knowledge and care that God possessed for this man Abraham God knew what caliber of man that Abraham was he knew what Abraham would that Abraham would stand the test and be all that God wanted him to be he's clearly pictured as God's saint in these verses Now, notice, first of all, a message about a child, a message about a child in verses 9 through 15. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be uh, with Sarah, after the manner of woman, of women, therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, "After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also, And the Lord said unto Abraham, "Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son?" Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Now, when the men had dined with Abraham, they asked where Sarah was located. Now, the question is, how did they know her name? Well, these two men were the Lord, and I believe two angels, remember? Uh, The reason Sarah was not dining with them, it was a custom of women to remain in separate rooms, uh, or a separate room from the men. Sarah seems to have been uh, behind the curtain of the women's quarters, for she hears the men speaking. And God had given this promise repeatedly to Abraham. The last time was in Genesis 17, verse 17. And Abraham had laughed for joy when he heard the glorious promise of hope from the Lord. Uh, this time, the promise is repeated for the benefit of Sarah. All she had heard was the second-hand promises from Abraham. Uh, this time she hears the promise directly from the mouth of God, and her reaction is vastly different than from that of her husband. She, he laughed for joy. She laughs from doubt. She is confronted and she's rebuked, as we read, and this episode is a reminder that God knows everything there is to know about you and me. He knows our motives. He knows our secret sins. He knows all things that we do. Nothing is hidden from His eyes. Romans, or Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. And so here we have Sarah laughs at the news that she's going to have a son. Remember, Sarah physically was supposed to be beyond the point of having children, and so upon hearing that she would have a child, Sarah laughs. And again, her laughter is the laughter of doubt and unbelief. But notice in the rebuke that we read there in verse 14, she is asked, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Well, the answer is found in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Nothing is impossible for God. What you and I cannot accomplish, God can. What we have given up on, God can see it through. And the word for hard here is a very similar word for wonderful, which is used to describe the coming of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The word hard here and the word wonderful over in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 both speak of a marvelous miracle. I believe that's very interesting. And so we have here a message about a child. Secondly, we have a message about a city. A message about a city. And the man rose up, verse 16, rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham... Shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him that he will command his children, his household after him. He shall keep the way of the Lord, and to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring up, uh, bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom, Gomorrah, is great, and because of their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me, and if, I, if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, this is a precious point in Abraham's relationship with the Lord. Because of who he is, how he conducted himself, and the future he is to enjoy, God is determined to share his heart with Abraham. Uh, imagine being in a position that you're so close to the Lord that it motivates God to share His heart with you. Now, no doubt this, is, this uh, is among the passages that prompted the Jews to refer to Abraham as the friend of God. In James 2.23 it says, "In the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness." And he was called the friend of God. Isaiah forty eight verse eight or forty one. Isaiah forty one verse eight says, But thou Israel art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Exodus thirty three and verse eleven says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. You see, God wants to have the same kind of relationship with each one of us today. He wants that relationship with us. When we're in a position of closeness to Him, He will share His heart and His will with us. Now, are you going to hear it in an audible voice like uh, Abraham did? No, because you have God's Word, and you can read it, and He will share His will with you. Never feel that this kind of relationship is only for super saints. I remind you of the great truth that as we seek to be closer to Him, He responds by moving closer to us. James 4 and verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But up to this point, the Lord has not revealed to Abraham what He's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to destroy them. But the Lord seems to have a conversation with the other two here. And in verse 17, He says, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? And notice the reason that God is not going to hide it from Abraham. We see that in verse 18, uh, uh, which He says there, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation, mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Abraham's going to have a tremendous influence. He's going to influence multitudes of people, including the succeeding generations. And this is true even right now. Abraham's influence is still being felt today. Now in verses 20 and tw- uh, through 22, here the Lord and His companions shift back to the matter of Sodom Gomorrah. And the word grievous there, look at that, it means heavy or weighty. In other words, the sin of Sodom was immense. Our sins are weighty before the Lord. Sin slows us down spiritually. The writer of Hebrews again admonishes us to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run the race before us. He says in Hebrews 12.1. So what is crying to God in your life? What is the weighty uh, sin in your life? Is uh, it your sin that's crying to God or is it your prayer and your praise? God knew full well of their sin and He knew what He was going to do about it. And yet Abraham, for Abraham's sake, to show himself just in his judgment, he gave the appearance of investigating the sin of Sodom. And the two companions leave and Abraham is left before or in the presence of the Lord. So we see here the ministry of a servant the message of a saint. And thirdly, we see the meditation of a son. The meditation of a son. The message that the Lord had shared with Abraham was a difficult message to hear. It had been revealed to him that his kinsman Lot, and his family were in danger of death and destruction. So notice the cry of that place and their grievous sin. Uh, was the reason for the coming of destruction. Now, to many, Sodom must have been viewed as a showplace or a success story. They probably bragged about how it had been rebuilt after the great war in Genesis chapter 14, but Abraham knew different. He knew the city was slated for destruction. And those of us who know the Bible know that our world thinks awfully highly of itself, doesn't it? But you know what? Our world is slated for destruction. We know that because of what we read in God's Word. And may we learn to pray like Abraham did so that we see our world saved. He received the message and it motivated him to action before the Lord. Perhaps this was a factor in God's desire to even share the message with Abraham. Perhaps he wanted to motivate Abraham to move deeper in his relationship with God. So we've seen Abraham the servant, we've seen Abraham the saint, and now we're given a chance to see Abraham the son speaking with his heavenly father. Notice, first of all, the distance between them. Verse 23, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Abraham stood before the Lord, and when the angels departed, he drew near to the Lord. And I praise the Lord for the truth that God's children can approach Him and draw as near as we please to our Heavenly Father. Listen, that's an invitation for you and me. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For we, ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our Spirit that we are the children of God. And the chi- if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. And so Abraham stood before the Lord, and then he drew near unto him. The distance between them. Notice, secondly, the dialogue between them. Verse 24. It says, Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place of the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that it be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find it in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon thee to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there should be lack five of fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there should be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak peradventure, there be, shall be 30 to be found there. And he said, I will not do do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord peradventure. There should be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet, but this once. Peradventure 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left to communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Abraham's prayer to the Lord arises out of several burdens he carries because of the revelation that he's received. First, he's concerned about God's reputation. If the Lord simply destroys the people of Sodom out of hand, Abraham is concerned that the people get the wrong impression about God and his love for sinners. And then secondly, of course, he's concerned about his family. He's thinking about Lot and his family who live in Sodom. He wants to see them spared at the very least. And so he begins to talk with God about this situation, and it gets God to agree to spare the city if just ten righteous people could be found there. In Lot's family, there was Lot. There was his wife, two unmarried daughters, and two, at least two married daughters, and their husbands. This was a total of at least eight people in that family. Abraham must have thought that Abraham would have at least won his family and a few others. And although Abraham did not know at the time, his prayer was answered. God did spare the righteous when he destroyed the wicked. When the morning came and Abraham looked toward Sodom and saw the smoke in that place, he must have been discouraged. And yet, his prayer had been heard and it had been successful. We read in chapter 19, uh, there in verse 29. You know, sometimes our prayers seem to be ineffective. They seem to be weak. But only in eternity will we know the full impact of our personal ministry of prayer in the lives of others. And so we should not be discouraged, but we need to pray. And we need to trust the Lord to bring it to pass. Now, if there's anything you need to take away from this study this afternoon, I believe it's this. A close personal relationship with God is possible for anyone who desires it. In your heart this afternoon, are you honestly as close to the Lord as you would like to be? Are you His servant? Are you running eagerly and speedily to do His will? Are you His saint, listening intently as He reveals His will and His ways to you? Are you His son or His child Interceding before the throne of the Heavenly Father on behalf of those who do not have access to Him. You need to work on one or more of these areas in your relationship with the Lord. If so, there is help. There is help from the Lord, and that help is, comes from His Word. And as you submit your life and surrender your life to Him, may we be quick in our ministry. May our ministry have quality. May there be a quietness about our ministry, and we pray uh, we trust that we will uh, uh and we should be praying that we'll be a uh, a, a child of God that uh, has uh is drawing closer to the Lord, and that uh, our time with the Lord is effective as we meet with him and pray with him and read his word and call upon him to show us what his will is for our lives I trust uh uh, we, as we see the three sides of this man by the name of Abraham that will desire to have the same qualities in our lives. Let's pray.